0: Hi there! You're about to listen to a vintage episode of the Under the Microscope podcast. While the content is still as relevant and as interesting as when it was recorded, our webpage has changed. You can now find us at thesciencetalk.com real-scientist-nano. Welcome to Under the Microscope. This series is brought to you by the Real Scientists Nano team. Our goal is to provide a platform where scientists can communicate their work and interact with the public. With that in mind, every week we introduce you to a scientist working in the field of materials and nanoscience, who would be curating the RealSci underscore nano Twitter account. Hi everyone. Today we have with us Peter Sherrill who is a research fellow at the Department of Chemical Engineering at the University of Melbourne in Australia. Hi Peter. How are you doing?
1: Yeah, good thank you. How are you?
0: I'm good. I'm really really excited to hear about your science because on the short podcast here it sounds so fascinating. So thank let's you. So let's dive in. So let's start with your scientific journey so far. So could you tell us how did you end up in your current research field? Um,
1: So I sort of from a young age, even um, primary school and high school, I was always interested in science. And when I was looking at a university degree, nanotechnology was sort of the new hot thing. And so it sort of grabbed my attention and I went into it. And the further I got into it, the... um, sort of that I became mm-hmm. and it so happened the university, the university of Wollongong where I did my PhD, they had um, one of these big centers called an ARC center of excellence that was looking at electromaterial science. So mm-hmm. they studied um, things like batteries, supercapacitors uh, and now nowadays they focus a lot on sort of electrical stimulation for tissue engineering, making artificial organs and things like this. Um, and so, that sort of grabbed my interest really quickly, and we had such a huge, um, a huge amount of people doing great research. it sort of pulled me in, and so I did my PhD on trying to make carbon nanotubes in these really funky, interesting structures. And yeah, had a huge amount of fun doing it, and sort of lit my passion for for all all the different types of research you could do, and the international travel, and the conferences, and the networking. It just just got in from sort of just sort of step by step, and went down the rabbit hole, I guess.
0: <laughs> I, I like the term "went out the rabbit hole" because the the world of nanoscience and technology is just so fascinating. So I can completely imagine because it was very similar to me as well. Uh, for me as well, so <laughs> completely understand. All right, super. So from working with with the carbon nanotubes um, during your PhD, so like right now where where do you think or where where do you see your current research falling in this big picture of materials on nanoscience where do you fit in this big puzzle
1: so i really fit on the fundamental side okay. so i do a lot of research into how we can make new nanomaterials mm-hmm. and how i combine different nanomaterials together to get you know a brand new property mm-hmm. so there's two things i've done that i think are really really cool way we figured out a way to grow two nanomaterials together directly um, in a single step um, two different 2d nanomaterials and we've used this to make fuel from water um, using just sunlight very very efficiently and that was really cool and on a completely different end of a spectrum we've taken a very very similar 2d material and put it in a polymer and this 2d material changes how the polymer arranges around it and it mm. makes the device harvest energy from motion really really efficiently extremely efficiently and mm-hmm. so these are completely on opposite ends of the scale really one is a very hard process where we're building an electrode and one's making this soft flexible patch mm-hmm. um, but they both come about understanding of nanomaterial build into an application so I fit really really broadly across it from the fundamental side but then I find I need to collaborate to drive the applications but
0: Right, right. So you're basically bringing the basic sciences and application science together or you're like the bridge between the basic and the application because you're actually making these materials.
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm a bridge. So on one end, you would have the modelers. I would sit Mm -hmm. in between who does, who will do the synthesis and sort of try to figure out exactly what we've got. Okay, can Mm -hmm. we, can we make it this way? Can we make it this way? And then we'll have more the engineers on the other side, which is really good working in a chemical engineering department who can figure out, right, we've got these really cool materials with these really cool properties. Here's how we can build a brand new device out of it that's useful for people. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay, so you're basically covering not just from basic to applied sciences, uh, but you're also covering the different kinds of nanomaterials. Like you mentioned, you do the polymers and then 2D materials embedded uh, in polymers so it's like polymers 2d materials like everything it's a mix of everything basically
1: very broad very broad which is what
0: science is about right it's quite broad
1: (laughs) well, well one of the challenges for me is you quite often get asked what what is it that your research boils down to what's the one thing you are better than anyone else to do and you know i'm i'm great at what i do but what i do is so broad and there's you know it's it's so interesting the different ways you can go from these fundamental things and one of the th- things i think i'm strong at together bringing the right team together to drive science forward because you can't do it by yourself these days mm-hmm. and so uh, you know it's about finding the people you can work with who have the knowledge and also have the personality to want to you know, mm-hmm. want to <laughs> collaborate and work really well and that's the fun part
0: for me Ah that's great. I'm so happy that you're uh, you think that uh, this is fun that interdisciplinary work and collaborating with different experts uh, in their own fields uh, I'm so happy that that's the way you see. It. It's very refreshing, <laughs> I must say. <laughs> All right, super. So it, it does sound to me that you do a lot of interesting uh, and you have done also in the past to a lot of interest have been part of a lot of interesting research projects um, and I'm sure you are also right now. Um, so if I ask you to pick one research project that you're most proud of or the most fun or quirky one, I know it's difficult. I know it's really difficult to pick just one. But if you have to pick one that you're most proud of, can you do that and explain it to us in simple words in the section we call In Other Words?
1: I can. Okay. Um, And it's going to be a different bent to the ones I've talked about already. Uh, So one of the things that I'm quite proud of, so I just finished my PhD and I was starting, not quite a postdoc because in the Australian system you wait about several months after you submit before it comes back. and so what we did was switch from using carbon nanotubes to graphene and as I mentioned I was working in an ARC center who was looking at um, a huge range of different things but they're looking at tissue engineering and I have no basis in biology never Mm -hmm. done biology no expertise I'm a material scientist and that's the bit I understand but what we did is we started looking at you know can we synthesize graphene so we did we developed a way to grow graphene by a process called chemical vapor deposition, which is basically just heating gas up in a furnace and graphene grows on whatever substrate you want. Mm -hmm. Um, And what the problem they were having is, they were looking at trying to apply electric current through stem cells and make them grow into different types, bone or nerve cells or um, fat cells or something like this. Um, And the problem was, the only electrical materials they had had a really defined stiffness. So if you tapped them, they would be quite hard Mm -hmm. or you couldn't, you couldn't separate that stiffness from them being electrically conductive. They were just connected together. Mm -hmm. Um, But what we found is if we took graphene because it's so thin, now graphene's about a thousand times thinner than a human hair, Mm -hmm. 10,000 times. I've forgotten the number. I apologize for that. (laughs) Really, really thin, really, really thin. And you put it on polymers what you find is the cells don't see the graphene at all. So you could put graphene on any polymer at all, Mm -hmm. no matter how soft or how stiff, and you could make it electrically conductive, at least on the surface. And so we showed that we could then, you know, make cells go off the mechanical cues of the polymers, that is how how hard they are, Mm -hmm. super soft like a rubber or super tough like like a rigid chair or, you know, your computer monitor or something like this. Um, And we could change how the cells responded. And that was really cool because no one had done it at the time.
0: That is so cool. I, I can completely understand why you picked this project as the one that the most fun or quirky one. So so you got you took the polymers, you coated the CBD grown graphene, so chemical vapor deposited graphene, you coated the polymers with this graphene and then you cultured cells around them so that yeah, they so... go in the right direction or way?
1: So basically, what we did is we cultured cells on top of them, and we compared just the cells growing on the graphene and showed, hey, look, they grow fine. Mm-hmm. And then we tried applying an electric, an electric field through the graphene, so, well, an electric current across the graphene. Sure. And what that did is it made the cells grow much, much quicker and very differently. So we saw a lot of what called what's called neurite outgrowth. So what that means is you get little um, filaments coming out from the cell that show the cells really, really happy. Uh-huh. So we could see these network of cells growing together much, much quicker and much, much, I guess, yeah, happier for want of a more <laughs> technical term on the substrates with the graphene and the electrical stimulation. And we could see if we did it on a soft it would work really well. And we did it on a hard polymer, it would work you know, a lot less well. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, with all the materials people were using previously, they didn't have a choice. It was just the hard polymer they could do right. with electrical stimulation.
0: So, right, right. Wow that is so cool so you basically use graphene to first of all make the cells or so neurons happy and healthy uh, and grow faster um, and then was was graphene also useful in terms of making the kinds of um, shapes uh, that you wanted like i don't know spherical rectangular i'm sure there is no rectangular Wait.
1: Else, but... <laughs> no, we, we didn't try that way. We didn't, we didn't really try too much with patterning or anything like that. One of <laughs> the things that, that, um, that people have gone on to do building on this work is make um, channels of conductive material and uh-huh. non-conductive material on a soft polymer. And the cells will stick to the conductive material and form tracks. So if you're looking at something like spinal cord regeneration, uh-huh. you can start to talk about how you can get you know a chain of cells all aligned in a certain way. Uh-huh. Um, and it forms the very 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 preliminary precursor to something that could event lead towards spinal regeneration or
0: something like this. Ah. Okay. Wow. Wow. This sounds cool. I mean you did mention that your favorite nanomaterial is carbon nanotubes. Do you still stick by that or do you Yeah, still stink? yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> I so I I'm I'm very visual. And Fundamentally, a one-dimensional material, which carbon nanotube is, can assemble itself in so many more ways than a two-dimensional material.
0: True. That is true. Fair <laughs> enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. That makes sense. All right. Super. This is fascinating. I hope this, this work is published and it's somewhere that people are using this and building on this to make
1: yeah.
0: new discoveries. Um... I hope so. <laughs> Super. That sounds fascinating. Awesome. So, Peter, um, let's let's uh, move away from lab a bit. Let's move away a little bit from the lab and go into the. Uh, let's talk a little bit about other parts of a researcher's life, usually an academic researcher's life, which is um, teaching or bringing, like, uh, transferring knowledge to the next generation. So. Do you do that in in some way or do you want to do that or could you talk about it uh, this little bit
1: yeah so um, at the moment uh, we're still in a COVID lockdown and so teaching is um, you know a bit, bit of a challenge at the moment everything's pre-recorded and delivered to students that way um, but I what I really get a lot of value out in terms of transferring knowledge as you mentioned is sort of the mentorship over the next generation of researchers so I really enjoy taking um, PhD students, master students, and honours students, um, and final year project students, sort of, and seeing them develop and trying to transfer the skills that I've learnt over my career to them. Um, that that's where I really enjoy, and you know, get a lot of satisfaction because you can see a lot of progression. Um, I find I really enjoy lecturing as well, but especially at the moment where it's remotely, it's so hard to build that engagement,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and that that's yeah. that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, but I I've given a lot of I I tend to teach surrounding the material science side, so electrochemistry, materials characterization, uh, soft materials, carbon nanomaterials, and 2D materials is sort of what I like teaching. Um, Mm -hmm. And they tend to be a bit more specialized, so I tend to teach sort of, again, the more senior students, so third year, fourth years, and things like this, Mm -hmm. is is sort of where my expertise fits. Um, But we'll have to see what happens when we return to -to face-to-face learning in the coming years, Uh, really looking forward. students again, you know mm-hmm. seeing how they've developed and engaging with them that way
0: yeah yeah that's that's i think i think the world is waiting for that <laughs> in, in a sense to, to yes. meet people uh, in person and interact with them in person and i really really liked what you mentioned that the mentoring part of the next generation mentoring the next generation of scientists i think that's also very very important um and i hope you get to do that uh in a to, to a broader set of uh, set of students um yes. soon enough <laughs> <laughs> um all right super so let's move on with um with with uh, with your researcher side let's let's dial back to your research era side and, let's talk a bit about your research experience and i hope your experience has been wonderful so far and will continue to be wonderful in the future as well however if you had three wishes to improve your research experience what would you ask for and i'm not promising anything here
1: <laughs> oh look i think i've i've had a quiet um positive journey through my career i've i've traveled and been to wonderful places i've done a postdoc in Sweden. I've had a Marie Curie Fellowship in the UK, um, and now I'm obviously back in Australia working. But one of the things that's really challenging, where again, from a more junior perspective, is when you get your PhD and you start a postdoc, you're on such short-term contracts and there's such poor job security and clarity around future career paths. There's obviously opportunities to translate into industry, but that's also, also a bit specialised. So it's really, you know, what I'd like not necessarily to improve mine at this point, but, again, to improve the next generation, is really finding a mechanism to improve job security or at least clarity of, you know, what to expect for for people coming through the system. Because we're generating so many new PhDs these days. We're generating, you know, such a brilliant, skilled workforce, a brilliant, skilled group of people. And where the job's coming from is going to be really challenging, especially with all the impact of, you know, the current environment coming up. So that's really the big one for me. Um, there's a couple of other little things, like I think it's really highlighted at the moment, the need for a greater public understanding of science and a public appreciation of science and a recognition, I guess, of how scientists communicate themselves mm-hmm. the difference between, you know, a peer-reviewed scientific article and a pre-print and these type of things. I think that's actually improved the f- past few months with all, with all the pre-print papers that have come out. But well at least in in media cycles let's say but you know a greater greater engagement of from from the general audience i guess of how how scientists talk as well as scientists learning to speak in a better language mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Uh-huh. yeah yeah that makes sense so uh, job security or clarity being one and the second being the communication in general to 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 peers to uh, to public, to scientists from different fields and stuff like that. So that was the second. Do you have a third
1: of it? Um, I mean, what's what's really highlighted to me over the past sort of six to seven months for us is it would be really good to have better tools for broad international collaboration. And um, at the moment, it's it's we're very limited in what we're able to do, especially in a country like Australia where our borders are shut. Um, and our movements reasonably curtailed, um, but that's, you know, and I think that's getting better all the time. You know, the video conferencing makes life so much easier for international collaboration, but Mm -hmm. the more tools we can do for, you know, remote, remote automation of lab equipment. Um, so you can send it to an expert's lab and you can, you know, watch while it's running and things like that. They exist for some of the synchronous and the really advanced pieces of equipment, um, that exist out there, but you know, something to work on for the future, trying to bring the scientific world closer together. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I I also love your third wish that the bringing the world closer together, uh, the scientific world as well. Um, (laughs) And I hope, I hope uh, with with the current situation that we are living in, most of the, uh, most of the conferences or workshops are moving, like happening virtually instead of in person so that hopefully allows for more collaboration and uh, like brings the world closer together. I, I know it's quite difficult for networking part, which is a, a, an integral part of uh, conferences, that if you're doing a virtual conference, it's very, very important to make sure that the attendees or participants are getting to network with each other, because that's where the collaborations actually begin or flourish. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's uh, let's hope. Let, all three wishes amazing. I wish I could just be like yes tomorrow. Uh, yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, it's all gonna be what you asked for completely. Um, I can't do that unfortunately yet. Um, but I would like to believe that we are working towards it, um, t- towards uh, achieving all of your three wishes. Um, In the near future, I would like to believe that. The first one might be a bit difficult uh, with the job clarity and security because it involves (laughs) (laughs) more than just you and me. Uh, (laughs) um, But yeah, I would like to believe that we are working towards it uh, and it happens in the near future. And speaking of future, uh, what are you most looking forward to in the next three months?
1: Getting back into the lab, hopefully lab for a good seven very excited to get back in and get my hands dirty and um, get some fresh results Um, Uh the past few months has been spent doing a lot of data analysis a lot of paper writing a lot of interpretation but there's nothing like getting that new discovery getting the getting the color change in your material or getting you know that first image of something brand new it's what you're after
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, the joy of looking at the image for the first time. You're the first person to look at this beautiful uh, nanomaterial or device that you've created. Ah, the joy. Oh, I miss that. I mean, you can, I guess, to a certain extent, you can still have that when your students send you over the images, but it's not the same.
1: <laughs> You're already at least the second person at that point
0: yeah exactly exactly and also this this when the image is loading especially on the electron microscopes that those few seconds or 2 3 minutes depending on the resolution of your image ah, uh, that is just amazing yeah, yeah I, it's
1: it's very odd the image that appears on the microscope screen is always so much better than the one that ends up in my saved folder on my desktop <laughs> i was like no it looks so much better oh oh dear
0: yeah yeah, yeah, that is true. Yeah, that is true. And, and yeah, we thought it so much better, and then you'll go back to your desk and look at it and it' like, huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can understand that. I can completely understand that. And so Peter, before we let you go, one last question that I want to understand from you is, what do you think are the big challenges faced by the field of materials on nanoscience uh, from your perspective?
1: I mean, there's a couple. The the big one for me with nanotechnology overall is is seeing some sort of commercial outcome from the investment in nanoscience. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a huge um, huge investment over the past 20 years in things like carbon nanotubes and things like graphene, and the applications are starting to come now, and hopefully will come. But you know, then that that's a big challenge as to how we can take all these you know the things I've spoken about these super cool structures and know can we actually make them useful do they move from the bench and into something or does the knowledge that making them give move into something and I think that's that's a challenge at the moment there seems to be a lot of research that that doesn't translate that well and that that happens research doesn't work every time but I think one of the challenges of the field is being a little bit more cognizant of how we how we design our experiments and how we think about where we're going with it and the second one is you know the same side that fundamental research which is what I mostly do that's still amazingly important and how can we communicate that importance to people because if you're talking to people they want to say oh you're working on a battery you're working on a supercapacitor, you're working on a solar cell I'm working to something that will lead to this (laughs) and so it's communicating that importance to society but also to governments and funding bodies that um, continue to support it, because especially in the economic downturn that we're going to experience, um it's it's going to be a bit of a crunch. And so mm-hmm. making sure that that the field as a whole can communicate its importance is, I think, one of the big challenges that we're facing.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, both the challenges that you highlighted uh, that transferring the technology from the lab bench to the market shelf and also, educating people, funding agencies, governments, about the importance of fundamental research. Um, Because what you see, the battery that you see uh, in your phone or or in your electric car, how many years did it take to get there (laughs) (laughs) from fundamental research? I think we need to talk about that and we need to inform and educate people about that. yeah, absolutely. So both challenges are completely, completely, yeah, they make complete sense. Absolutely. So thank you very much, Peter. Uh, I learned a lot about your research and your research, I, I keep saying at the risk of repeating myself, it's so fascinating. Uh, it's so cool. So thank you very much for speaking with us and looking forward thank to you
1: having Thank you so much. You.
0: <laughs> yeah, our pleasure. Unreal Scientist Nano. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To know more about us, please visit our website realscientistsnano.org and follow us on Twitter at realsci-nano.